0: The year is 2014, and the U.S. and other Western nations are looking for ways to punish Russia for occupying the Crimean Peninsula, which had been considered Ukrainian territory. Widespread outbreak of the Ebola virus in West Africa has people everywhere worrying that the deadly virus will spread worldwide. Meanwhile, here in the U.S., the unemployment rate for young adults rises to around 15%, twice as high as the overall unemployment rate, making it hard for even recent college grads to find work and causing many young people to move back home with their parents. And in that year of 2014, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama went to Annie Baker's The Flick, a surprisingly controversial play set in a failing movie theater where three young employees are trying to figure out how to deal with economic instability, racial inequality, and an overall uncertain future. My name is Jan Simpson. Welcome to All the Drama, a podcast about the plays and musicals that have won American theater's highest accolade, the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Annie Nugent Baker was born in Cambridge, Massachusetts on May 6, 1981, to Linda Baker, a doctoral candidate in psychology who is now a psychotherapist and college professor, and Con Nugent, who was then working as a college administrator but later became a policy analyst. Her parents split when Baker was six, and she grew up in Amherst, Massachusetts with her mom and her older brother. Benjamin Baker-Nugent, who was given their father's surname while Annie was given their mom's. Both Ben and Annie showed an early interest in writing. Ben actually spent a year or so working as a researcher for me when I was an editor at Time magazine, but he's now a novelist and short story writer. Annie's interest obviously tilted toward theater. She said that as a girl she used to secretly record and transcribe conversations to get a better sense of how people really talk. And when she was a guest on Mark Marin's WTF podcast a few years ago, she told him that she not only played Miss Adelaide in her high school production of Guys and Dolls, but wrote a play that she'd submitted to a contest for high school students, although she says she retracted it at the last minute. Instead, she went to college at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, where she majored in dramatic writing and graduated in 2003. A few years later, she went to grad school at Brooklyn College because she wanted to study with the experimental playwright Mac Wellman, whose work is less interested in plot and character and more concerned with the way theater uses language, an approach that Baker would put to work in her own place. Like many young artists, Baker did lots of odd jobs in her 20s to make ends meet. Hers included the usual gigs as a nanny, a waitress, a bookstore clerk, and an editorial assistant at a publishing house. But she also worked as a researcher for the game show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? and as a guest wrangler for the reality TV show The Bachelor. Although she said she quit the bachelor job, after just nine days, because she felt she was being asked to lie to the female contestants. But in 2008, a year before she got her master's degree from Brooklyn College, Baker got her first off-Broadway production at the Atlantic Theatre Company with Body Awareness, a play that revolves around a clash between a feminist scholar and a male photographer who specializes in photos of nude women. It won her rave reviews, a profile in the New York Times, an Obie for Best New American Play, and a fellowship at the Sundance Theater Lab. But Baker's real breakthrough came the next year, when Playwrights Horizons produced Circle Mira Transformation, a wonderful comic drama about five people who attend an amateur acting class in a small Vermont town. Seeing it is how I first discovered Baker and I immediately put her high on my list of playwrights whose future work I didn't want to miss. And I wasn't the only one knocked out by the play. It became the second most produced play in the U.S. written by an American in the 2010-2011 theater season. Baker followed it with The Aliens, a play about three English young men who hang out behind the coffee shop in their small town. It won the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize for that year's best play by a female playwright, and some critics started comparing Baker's closely observed and finely drawn work to that of Anton Chekhov. So it wasn't a surprise when, in 2012, Soho Rep gave Baker, who had studied Russian in college, a commission to adapt Chekhov's Uncle Vanya. The production was directed by Sam Gold, who had also staged Circle Transformation and the Aliens. And the all-star cast included Reed Burney as Vanya, Merritt Weaver as Vanya's niece Sonia, Peter Friedman as Sonia's professor father, Maria Dizia as the father's much younger second wife Yelena, and Michael Shannon as the neighboring doctor who secretly loves Yelena. It was a fantastic production that became that summer's hot ticket. And then came the flick. It focuses on two ushers, one a black college dropout, the other a white working-class guy, and the female projectionist who forms a third of their not-quite-romantic triangle. The three of them clean the shabby theater where they work between movie showings and exchange the kind of idle talk made by people who spend a lot of time together but don't really know one another all that well. The characters spend long stretches of time silently moving around the stage as they sweep and pick up trash. Occasionally, they leave the stage entirely and it just sits empty. Those wordless segments are written into the text, and Sam Gold, once again directing, insisted that they were essential to get across Baker's comic timing. But those pauses also caused the show to run about three hours, And that didn't go over well with many of the people who came to see the flick at Playwrights Horizons. So many of them walked out or later threatened to cancel their subscriptions that the company's artistic director actually sent an email to subscribers explaining why he had staged the show. Even so, it limped through a four week run. But then the flick won the Pulitzer. The five member jury, which included three female critics, Praised the play for presenting lives rarely seen on stage. Baker told Mark Maron that she was a bit surprised by the award because she thought she could have written an even better play. But the win was enough for a group of some two dozen commercial producers to bring the flick back for a longer run at the Barrows Street Theatre, where it played for six months. The play was also done at the National Theatre in London and is now produced at theatres around the U.S. A year after that, the MacArthur Foundation awarded Baker one of its genius grants. In 2015, the Signature Theatre Company made her one of its resident playwrights with a production of her play John, about a couple trying to save their relationship with a visit to what turns out to be a creepy bed-and-breakfast in Gettysburg. Two years later, Signature staged The Antipodes, a wry comedy that chronicles a somewhat surreal brainstorming session for an unidentified project. Since winning the Pulitzer, Baker has married Nico Bamba, the film studies scholar whose brother is the film director, Noah Bamba. The couple now have one child. And Baker has also teamed up with fellow playwright Brandon Jacob Jenkins to co-teach playwriting at Hunter College, and more recently at the University of Texas in Austin. Next month, the Atlantic Theater Company will debut Baker's latest play, Intimate Life, with the comic actresses Mary Louise Burke and Christine Nielsen in lead roles. I have to be honest, the flick isn't my favorite Baker play, but I'm really looking forward to seeing Intimate Life. And in the meantime, I really enjoyed talking about the flick with the longtime theater critic, Jeremy Gerard. Over the past five decades, Jeremy has written for publications ranging from the Soho Weekly News to the New York Times. Annie's the author of the terrific biography of the producer and acting teacher, Wynne Hanman, who co-founded the American Place Theater. Jeremy is also a past president of the New York Drama Critics Circle, And he's been a Pulitzer juror. But the reason I wanted to talk with him about the flick is because, as you'll hear, he has a really complicated and interesting relationship with the play. Hi, Jeremy. Welcome to All the Drama.
1: Happy to be here.
0: Before we talk about the flick, I... I, Wondered, what was your history with Annie Baker's work in general? How did you first encounter her? Were you a fan of her work? I would say that the book
1: may well have been the first play of hers that I saw. Hmm. I think of Uncle her adaptation of Uncle Vanya, which I thought was fantastic, and John, which I think is probably the show that turned me around on her because I was, I was really taken with that. But my experience with, with the flick was, was one of my experiences as a critic that has really stood out in my lifetime. I think you know what I'm talking about. And we'll get to that. What was your
0: initial response to it when you saw it?
1: My initial response, as I, I said in my first review of it, was it was the worst play ever written. I found it to be a slog. Things proceeded at a very slow pace, and I w- never felt confident of where it was going or why it was going where it was going, and it seemed endless to me. I, it was, it's a very long play, mm-hmm. and I could not understand what all the fuss was all about, frankly.
0: Were you put off by the long silences? Some people have compared Baker's silences to like Pinter's pauses, these long silences where people are just sort of moving around a stage.
1: Well, I would say yes. They didn't seem real to me in this hyper-realistic play. Uh, I didn't understand the point of them except They seem to exist for no other reason but to make me fidget, and (laughs) I am tired of of fidgeting.
0: What did you think of, then, the controversy that surrounded that production? I mean, some people walked out, some people threatened to cancel their subscriptions.
1: Well, Um, the worst thing of all was that the artistic director of Playwrights Horizons apologized mm -hmm. to to his subscribers to the show, which put me in, in a, a strange position. As a, as a critic, I, I thought that was a terrible thing to do, even though I was not a fan of the play. I think you stand by your choices, and especially in the case of the nonprofit theater, failure has to be one of your priorities. You have to say, this is, this is an artistic voice that I think is, is of value, and we're going to give it a production. And apologizing is you you, you just so do that. So I was on the side of the people who were critical of that choice. I thought that was a that was a, a really bad a bad thing to do. One of the great things about people like Joe Papp and, and Ellen Stewart and my own favorite Wynn Hammond was they always said to their writers, I don't care what the critics say, we're doing your next play. <laughs> and, and and that's I think a very important commitment to make to to artists. So that really disturbed me when, when that happened.
0: Is that part of the reason that you went back to see the play when it moved to Barrow Street? I mean, it had the same cast, the same creative team. It was a certain production that you hadn't liked the well, first time. I'll, I'll try to explain...
1: My thinking or, or the, mm-hmm. the process that happened. The first thing that happened was Scott Rudin called me and screamed at me and yelled at me for not understanding that this was the greatest play ever written, which is pretty much what Scott Rudin would say about every play he produced. And sometimes he was right. And it's not that it made me doubt my perception, but there was a, a very strong wave of critical approval from other people, people I respected about the show, but when you asked me to come and talk about this playwright and this show, I began thinking about how, how I responded to all of that that was going on, and I, 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 I want to say this. I think that with new material, whether it's a play or a musical, critics are strangers in a strange land and we're tourists in somebody else's world sometimes we connect immediately with that world sometimes we don't sometimes we need a second consideration i think one of our major requirements as critics is to be open to those challenges to be open to the idea that A second visit will teach us more. It may confirm our original feeling, but it also may change it. One of the examples I've been thinking about is when the Signature Theater, one of our most beloved nonprofit theaters, right? Absolutely. When they did a revival of Edward Albee's The Lady from Dubuque, many of us, including me, were in the audience the opening night on Broadway and hated, hated, just hated the show. Thought it was vulgar, thought it went nowhere, thought this is Edward Albee at his most inscrutable. And when, when, now of course, this had much more distance of time than was the case with the flick, but 20 years later, when it was done at the signature, Mm -hmm. it was revelatory. We just got it. And it felt like it wasn't Albie who had changed. It was mostly us. It was we who had changed, and we had sort of grown into the play. And the, the it was quite remarkable to me. I was among those who said, "This is this is really a revelation. How how great this play is." And something similar happened to me with the flick. Uh, Talk about that. It wasn't so much that I I certainly hadn't aged that much in the few months between the two productions. But I think both my ear and my eye had grown more welcoming to what she was trying to do. And I think that I just got it. I got it in a way that I didn't the first time around, I, I I thought, wait a second, is this going faster? Did they did they make changes? Well, no, they had they hadn't. It was it was myself who had changed, and I have found in my experience, I've been writing professionally as a critic since the mid seventies, that the, t- the 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 times when I've changed my mind about a show are very few and far between. But when I've done it, and when I've shared it with readers. They've evoked the most response of, of any of my reviews, because I think it humanizes us in a way.
0: You said that you got what Annie was trying to do. What was it that you got? How would you describe her as a playwright or her body of work approach to, to theatrical storytelling? I think that's
1: a great question, and it goes to the other plays of hers that I mentioned, both the Uncle Vanya and and John. I know there are others, but they're eluding me right now. But what what I got, I think, was her her empathy and her real understanding of the human mechanism and the way it works in. The world's of ordinary people, and it really came through to me that that a certain kind of clarity and honesty of character came through in a way that i I guess I was resistant to the first time around because I saw it I saw those same things as affectations that on second visit, I saw as compassion and empathy. And up, uh, an appeal for the richness of these tiny details of life that mm-hmm. so just went, I'm, I'm not going to say went by me, but struck me in a different way. Somehow, what clanged on my ear or left me fidgeting the first time around had a very different impact the second time. Mm-hmm. And I felt, as, to complete what I said before, I felt less like a stranger in her strange land. I felt more more drawn in and more welcomes in
0: it. The Pulitzer board, well, the jury that year, obviously awarded the prize to the flick, but it had very strong competition. The finalists were Fun Home, by Lisa Cronin, Ginny Jessori and The Curious Case of the Watson Intelligence by Madeline George, both two mm-hmm. strong plays. I don't know what you thought of those, those two shows, but what do you think, this is the question I always ask, what do you think that the board saw in the flick? The board or the jury? Well, the jury. I'm still
1: surprised that the fun home didn't win because i i i thought fun home was absolutely extraordinary work that would go on to have the, the kind of life that it's had and and also that it was probably more accessible than than the, the flick i didn't have a bad feeling about it because as i as as we know i mean i turned around on the flick and i came to think of it as a really terrific play. Do I think it was better than Fun Home? I hate getting into those arguments or, or debates. They, I don't think, I don't think they're very meaningful.
0: Now, some authors who win the Pulitzer, it 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 almost paralyzes them, and the work going forward isn't as good as that work was. This is not the case. I don't think That's, with with I Andy. agree with
1: you. I I I think she only got better.
0: Do you have any thoughts about how she avoided falling into that trap?
1: Well, I hope that the answer to that is that she completely ignored it. That <laughs> you know, I think most artists who win those kinds of prizes, important prizes, whether it's an Academy Award or a Tony or or a Pulitzer Prize, I think that the ones whose success continues are the ones who can say you have to put it out of your mind in the same way that they are prone to say you have to put your greatest reviews out of, out of your mind. Because if you don't, you, you will get trapped in either repeating yourself or being conscious of, oh, my God, how am I going to top this? I don't know what Lin-Manuel Miranda did after he won the Tony Award for in the heights, but you know, he, 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 he came up with Hamilton. And that requires a kind of focus, I think that requires you to put the accolades and the hubbub out of out of your head and just continue with the work. And I also think there are some people who just don't have that, that much work in them, and they get lucky and Mm-hmm. They become a, a Pulitzer Prize winner for the rest of their lives without having work that, that meets up with it. Mm-hmm.
0: I do think, though, that Annie Baker is a a true artist. When And what, when you were talking about people who are able to put prizes and bad reviews as well to the side mm-hmm. and just really listen to their inner voice. And I think she has a strong ear for her inner voice.
1: Uh, I completely agree with you because nobody can look at her body of work and say, this is somebody who's repeating herself. No, no. She's a real, she's a real adventurer. An, yeah. an artistic adventurer.
0: Yeah. I think we agree she's she's the real deal so so thanks for 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 coming on and and talking to us about it and being very open about the fact that the first time around you didn't quite get it but you (laughs) but you but you came around and and brave of you to do very brave of you to do you know i'm not sure that i
1: would I, I'm not sure I like the notion that I came around because I wasn't competing with other people who loved the show. I was competing with myself. Yes. And, and mm-hmm. I, I just want to re- reaffirm what I said before, which is, with, especially with new work, I think critics need to realize that we're tourists. And when you're a tourist, sometimes you find something you connect with right away. And sometimes it takes a second visit to understand the meaning of something or to become part of, instead of just a visitor, to become part of something bigger than yourself. And I I will admit that that's what happened with, with the flick.
0: Well, again, thanks for talking to us about it, Jeremy.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: And thank you for listening. I hope you'll come back next time. And if you have any comments, Questions or suggestions, please send them to me at jan at Broadway dot com.